Welcome to episode 12 of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast. Today's episode is all about healing from childhood trauma. It's about three-fourths of people, so it's about 75% of people have the orientation, I'm not okay, you're okay, right? We feel like I'm there's something wrong with me, but everybody else seems to be pretty happy. And well, if three quarters of people have that, you know, that puts me in the masses. Yeah. The people who feel like, who really have it like, yeah, I'm fine and you're fine too. That's cool, you know? That's what we strive for, but that's a very small group of people overall. It's time to be your best version of you. No fluff, no nonsense, only practical ways for you to be your own extraordinary. We learn from the real stories of real people who've been there and survived the life challenges that we all face. Remember, one person's story can be someone else's survival guide. Welcome to the rediscovery of me. I'm your host, Holly Hartley. Hey everyone and welcome to episode 12 of the Life Stories podcast. As ever, it's great to have you here. Before we get on with today's show, have you subscribed to the weekly email yet? Well, if not, hop on over to the Rediscovery of Me website, rediscoveryofme.com. Click on the link, fill in your details and you and I will then be able to converse weekly. How wonderful will that be? Well, without further ado, let's meet this week's guest. My guest on today's show is a soon-to-be-retired orthopaedic surgeon. Currently studying for a PhD in mind-body medicine, he has been teaching and coaching since 2012, commonly in the areas of meditation, mindfulness and stress relief. Today, his work focuses on overcoming the effects of early life trauma and family dysfunction. The sources of such trauma are wide-ranging and include all forms of abuse, divorce, narcissistic parenting, living with mental health and depression in parents, absent workaholic parents, those with inhibited emotions, in fact, issues that are likely to affect many of us. Today, he's going to share with us his own experiences of a childhood trauma and what we can do to overcome our own. He's clear that whilst we might feel damaged, defective or broken, we are anything but. He says... I used to think that being the child of divorced parents, a survivor of sexual abuse and having a constant sense of being different or damaged meant that I didn't get to experience the peace and joy that other people seem to have. But what I've learned is that my experience has made me far more normal than I ever imagined. The strength it takes to continue to get up and keep fighting, even when my trauma is being triggered, is my superpower. It's because of my pain, not in spite of it, that true peace is possible. Joining us from Louisville, Kentucky, he is the host of the Unbroken Reclaiming Yourself After Childhood Trauma podcast, the very wonderful Mr. Pete Buker. Thank you so much for joining us. It's really great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Brilliant. Well, let's start at the beginning because I'm very conscious that this is really quite a complex topic. And what I've tried to do, typical teacher, is to break it down into steps that our listeners can access from straight away. So let's talk a little bit about what trauma is and how it feels. You say that essentially there are two types of people. Those are recovering from childhood trauma and those are in denial. So it's fair to say then that this is something that affects us all. Yeah, and I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek and sort of not because I, I think, you know, when you look at the, the gamut, and, and it really has been eye-opening to me, I, you know, I think like a lot of people who went through something, whether, you know, with me it was the very bitter childhood divorce of my parents at a young age and then being sexually traumatized and, and going through life feeling like I was different, like I was, you know, it's, it's isolating is the point, mm-hmm. like we feel isolated, we feel like we can't really talk about it or it's that's over there and the rest of me is sort of over here. And, and to me, it's been eye-opening in myself as I've really opened up you know, around this, how pervasive not only the experiences or the memories or the feelings, but how pervasive the personality attributes that you develop as a result, mm-hmm. uh, the way that you relate to people in ways and, and your ability to trust and your ability to share and your ability to open up and be honest about yourself, mm-hmm. how pervasive the, the damage is from those early life experiences. And I think when I've looked at the people I've worked with, the people I've talked to, the more I've kind of opened up about this and gotten feedback, when I see how pervasive this is in everyone's lives, it's like, yeah, I don't think anybody escapes childhood completely unscathed. I think there's always something, but we don't talk about it because we just think it's 
it's childhood. We don't, we don't realize, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that was actually a problem and it continues to affect me now, um, which sure is really where that, I like to focus. But isn't that the point of childhood is that, you know, you've got to have the yin with the yang, you've got to have the good with the bad. And, you know, one of the best things about learning or one of the best instances in which to learn is, is when you make mistakes, when the bad stuff happens. And I guess yeah. the point is at which point does that kind of constructive aspect of childhood experience suddenly become trauma? So what is trauma yeah. and what counts as trauma? Great question. The way I've come to understand this is that it becomes traumatic when there's the presence of shame. Because people will sometimes say, and I've, I've asked myself often, you know, as a parent, I've got two children of my own, yep. is what's discipline, what's trauma? You know, what's mm -hmm. um, normal experiences, what are hardening experience or resilience building experiences, and what are those that leave scars that are difficult to overcome? And really what I've found is that the, um, and this is not uber scientific, this is just my experience of it, and again, my own and the people I've worked with and, and sort of having thought and processed about this a lot. But I really see the, the boundary being where there's the introduction of the concept of shame. It's not that you've done something wrong, okay? So if I'm in the kitchen and I'm a little kid and I knock something over and break a glass or whatever, and my mom says, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. If it becomes, you know, this is a lesson, you know, this is not what we do. These things are sharp. This can hurt you. This is not, you know, whatever. Versus uh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that, right? Mm -hmm. So when we, when we are led to feel defective, or that there's something wrong with me for having done that, as opposed to that's just something that we don't do. I think for me, that's where the line becomes drawn. And it, but it's not clear. It's not a real clear line because you may not intend to have your child feel shame, for instance, if you're disciplining mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. well, but they may, internalize it, they may internalize it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really want to come back to this notion of shame because I think this is something that comes up an awful lot with you know, the guests that I have on my podcast, particularly those who are telling us quite complex life stories, particularly ones yeah. pertaining to their own mental health. But let's come back to that in a moment then, if I may. Sure. So in terms of symptoms of, of trauma, I was reading on your site, you gave a really helpful list. And in your first episodes, you mentioned things like, you know, being harshly self-critical. Our minds never stop. We're perfectionists. We struggle with intimacy. Tell us a little bit more about these kinds of symptoms and how we might know if we're suffering from the effects of early life trauma or family dysfunction. One of the biggest symptoms that you can look at that I think is common to, to all of us is that what does the voice inside your head say about yourself at, at times where either you feel like you're trying to gain favor with someone, you feel like you've made a mistake, how do you talk to yourself? Mm -hmm. Because that internalized voice comes from other places. Those are the messages that you hear and then we internalize them, right? If your inner voice is saying, oh man, you almost did it and you know, if you just done this, this and this, then it, you know, you, you're, you're almost there, right? That's pretty awesome. If your inner voice is saying, oh, you're such an idiot, I can't believe you screwed that up again. You, you should have done this, you should have done that. The words like should have, could have, would have. Yeah. And, but I think in general, the sense is if you feel like you need to be something other than exactly as you are, right? If I feel like I need to be someone else or do something to be more lovable, to be more acceptable um, in the eyes of other people or in the eyes of people that are important to me, then somehow, some way, shape, or form, those are sort of shame-based thoughts. Those are sort of trauma, you know, originated thoughts but they're just so pervasive. I mean, for most of us, the biggest jerk that we hear talking to ourselves all day is ourselves. It's that yeah. voice inside of our head. It's the, <laughs> the hardest one. The and, person um, that you would never allowed to be a friend in your life if they were a physical no. person. Yeah, no, exactly. And they live right in, you know, it lives right inside of here. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but I think if you listen to your self-talk, you'll know pretty quickly, you know, is this, is this sort of a, a traumatic uh, set of thoughts or are these just sort of normal human you know, I, w I want to be better. I want to do better. I want, you know, cause, cause a lot of times people will say, well, what if I just, if I'm really happy with myself now, then how do I have vision? How do I have goals? How do I improve? Right. Improving for the sake of improving is sort of one thing, but improving because you feel like, well, once I'm there, then somehow, you know, people will be able to love me or accept me or I'll feel better about myself. That's a very different thing. Is that not a fairly, I don't know when you want to use the word normal, common sort of standpoint, because for me, these kinds of things, I mean, gosh, you're describing the way I talk to myself in my head all the time, you know, and I, right. think, I think that speaking to friends and colleagues and, and people that I've worked with over the years, I think a lot of people would identify with the things that you've described. So I guess, is there a threshold where stuff becomes trauma? Yeah, again, I go back to that concept of shame. So I think if, yeah. if, if what you feel like is by doing, you know, by being who you are, by doing what you do, by doing things that you love doing, 
mm-hmm. that that somehow makes you less human or less acceptable or less or less worthy of love, mm-hmm. then then that's to me where it becomes traumatic. Even okay. if it's not what we would say is someone traumatized you, but what it is, it's traumatic for that for that mind, especially when you're young. It's, it's traumatic for the you know for that toddler or for that you know school age child's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about shame is incredibly potent, incredibly yeah. toxic, very deep-seated and very, very damaging. And, you know, using yes. your words here, I, th- I think you summed it up beautifully. You said, um, there's something wrong with me. I'm defective. Everyone else has it figured out. Yeah, that's it. And I, you know, I went through life with that, right? I went through life for the, I went through 30 or that, okay, well, I'm sort of screwed up from the beginning. I have to figure out how everybody else does it to know how to be normal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I was working with a therapist and I, and I was reading the book um, by Thomas Harris called I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of this uh, rooted in this sort of transactional analysis, you know, field of psychology and the, the numbers in there somewhere, I remember internalizing this number. I don't remember where it was in there, but it's about three fourths of people. So it's about 75% of people have the orientation. I'm not okay. You're okay. Right. We feel yeah. like I'm, there's something wrong with me, but everybody else seems to be pretty happy and yeah, have yeah. it together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if three quarters of people have that, that's the normal position. That's the, that's the, <laughs> that makes me, you know, that puts me in the masses. Yeah. The people who feel like, who really have it like, yeah, I'm fine and you're fine too. That's cool. You know, that's what we strive for, but that's a very small group of people overall. Yeah. So, but then that gives me a benchmark to work for. If I can feel good about myself and let other people feel good about themselves and we can ha- relate in that place then that feels really good. And that's, a, that's, you know, and that's the position really when I did that, that really changed how I parent. We talked about kids, you know, uh, both online here and offline together really in, in parenting is how can I be okay in my own skin and let them be okay in their own skin, but then help them sort of navigate life. Like you talked about, where's the, what's, what are bombs and bruises? What's resilience? Mm-hmm. And then where does it bound into, you know, them internalizing trauma? So that's really a, a delicate line to walk sometimes, but that's my benchmark. How can I let them feel okay in their own skin and realize that, yeah, okay, you're, you're fine as a person, but I don't really like this thing that you did over here. So let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about that. And so sometimes it's just in the way that you couch those conversations, I think that make them so that we, cause what I want to do is I wanted to guide them, but I don't want them to long-term feel bad about themselves mm-hmm. as a human because mm-hmm. of things that we've talked about, if that makes sense. I think as a, as a mom, Today, I think one of the things I worry about most is actually about shame. And it's almost, it's a kind of combination of shame and social media in that I feel that there's an oscillation need in society now to shame people. And it it sells newspapers, it drives internet traffic, you know, and it's, it's such a destructive repulsive thing but yet it seems so common and you know as a parent it kind of keeps me awake at night that this is what kids having to deal with yeah i have a whole whole episode of my podcast about this about this the the sort of the systemization of shame Mm kind of how how it's just Mm -hmm. become part of the discourse and over here in in the states with the political climate that we're in that's all that you see you know Mm -hmm. it's like if you're on one side then you're the biggest idiot that ever lived and you have to be a treasonous traitorous racist you know whatever and if mm-hmm. you're on this side then you're you know you're a snowflake and you don't understand reality and you whatever and it's just all the, the rhetoric flying back and forth between the very divided sides mm-hmm. it's all very shame-based and it's very toxic and it's like I can scroll Facebook you know for a couple minutes and I gotta turn it off because I'm like I can't it's it's too much yeah absolutely um, so I hope this is just a you know some like but but it is it's, it's everywhere it's the way we talk to each other it's the way we talk to children it's the way it's the way products are marketed to us, mm-hmm. you know, especially mm-hmm. in the, in the fashion and the beauty world. It's like, you know, um, you know, you're not anything if you don't have this thing, you know, mm-hmm. if you're not wearing these clothes and, you know, and, and body shaming and style shaming and all the stuff on the flip side of that, we're also seeing though a, an upsurge of messages about be who you are, accept yourself. Um, mm-hmm. It's okay to not look like the other kids. So we're seeing this sort of balance also mm-hmm. kind of coming in. Um, so it'd be interesting to see kind of how this plays out. But mm-hmm. uh, so much of it is not necessarily even in, and I talk about this in the show about trauma, so much of it is not about necessarily in the way I work with people. It's not so much about what happened to you. It's how you internalize what happened to you. It's with the story that you, you craft to make it make sense to you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's the part that leaves the lasting effects over time. Yeah, um, sure. Someone touches you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. 
that's one thing. And that's a, that's a finite thing, whether it happens multiple times or once or whatever, but that's a, a finite limited thing. But if you walk away from that with, there's something wrong with me, I'm defective, my, my body sucks, I hate my body, no one should ever touch my body, and you have this, like we internalize this stuff, it's like if you put your hand on a hot burner, mm-hmm. you know, and you realize it, you pull it away, if you don't put it underwater, it gets some ice on it quick, the burning, the damage continues for a long time after you pulled the hand off the burner. And that's what happens to most of us when we are, do incur, you know, this shame or these traumatic events, the trauma stops. You know, for me, I, the, the sexual abuse stopped. I was about 11 years old, mm-hmm. but I didn't talk about it to anybody until I was 41, you know? Wow. So 30 years of time where I was just simmering inside my own head and making choices and getting into relationships and out of relationships and choosing, you know, things about my career and about how to parent and all these things, this stuff just stewing around. So the damage really just went on and on and on and on until I said, wait, stop, you know, hold the phones. Let's really look at this. And am I really the person I think I am? Because this happened to me. I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. I didn't invite it. I didn't, you know. So we realized that, oh, no, it's the story I have about myself and who I am and what this means that really creates the lasting damage. And so that's really, I think, the message that, that, that I want to get out to people. It's like, look, things happen to all of us, like you said, but it's the meaning that we make of it that seems to be so much more damaging. Is it okay, Pete, if, if you tell us a little bit more about, because your past experiences of childhood trauma and the kinds of things you yeah. just mentioned there about the sexual abuse, what kinds yeah. of behaviors were you exhibiting? You know, having really uh, thought about it a lot, done therapy around it, you know, processed it from every angle and then, and then sort of weaving it into this sort of professional um, or this, you know, this messaging and this professional thing, I really sort of processed this on a number of levels. And mm-hmm. uh, so I'll go back to the beginning. So my parents split when I was uh, an infant. So I have no memories whatsoever of my parents ever being together. In fact, my first memories of my parents were them passing me back and forth for visitation, me just feeling horribly, you know, my heart ripped out going back and forth between because I was very little, you know, as a toddler, and then uh, them being in court and battling all the time. And then one telling me, well, make sure you say this, don't say this, make sure you say this, don't say this. Well, you know, she does this, this, you know, so constantly just feeling at odds with my own family, and just never really having a sense of belonging. I just never felt like a fit anywhere. You know, I didn't know I felt like, well, I have to say this, I have to not say that. I have to feel this, I have to not feel that. And so I was always defining my reality by what kept everybody else stable. And so not sort of accepting blame, but just sort of being a realist about the fact that I think a lot of that set me up to trust somebody I shouldn't have trusted, who ultimately, you know, set when I was about seven years of age, began sexually molesting me. Because I felt like, well, here's someone else who's been through stuff. Here's someone who gets it, you know, and I sort of looked up to him. He was a few years older than me. And, and then, you know, he used that to, to, to begin that process which went on for about four years. And, and I was, you know, only around them every once and again, but every time I was around them, something happened. So I think the, the thing is, is that then there's this weird interplay between, because, you know, the, the abusers, they're sick people, of course, but they're just damaged people. They've been through their own trauma. They've been through their own damage. And so you get this weird interplay of, well, I feel more comfortable around him than I feel around these other people. But at the same time, this is going on, which makes me feel horrible. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you know, it's like this weird thing. And people who've been through it describe that, like, you know, uh, unless you were, you know, really violently attacked or something like that. But a lot of the, a lot of the childhood uh, trauma like this becomes like, it's someone you trust, it's someone you know, you feel kind of good around them, but then you don't. Mm-hmm. And it's this weird thing for the child brain to try to figure out. What I think I ultimately I came to was, this gave me a lot of really very uh, weird, uh, distorted ideas about how to relate to people sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me really weird ideas about how to trust or not trust people or what qualities I was supposed to be looking for in someone to trust because mm-hmm. that had obviously been very violated. And so I just didn't trust myself. Like I just felt, okay, I'm just going to keep myself kind of be a man on an island here and just do my thing. So I went through grade school and high school, just never really fitting in, never really knowing who my people were because I wasn't going to let myself really go there. And that makes me sad to think about that now. But, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time, you're just surviving. You don't know any other way. Ultimately, what I came down to now, what surprises me is, is, well, the, the big moment for me was when I really started unpacking this, you know, and I was about six years into therapy with my therapist before I even brought it up to him. And he's like, okay, 
I've been waiting for you to tell me because he, you know, he's a professional. He knows the signs and yeah, sure. And and the fallout, but uh, so we, you know, as I started unpacking with him, what I realized is again, I sort of had this idea that that happened to me, and then over here is who I am. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize how it, it infuses its way into literally every aspect of your life, every emotion that you have, every thought that you have. It's everywhere. Yeah, and every choice you make, you know, every relationship you're in, the dynamics of every, it's like, it's just everywhere. And that was the big moment. Like, Oh, I can't, I can't live this way anymore. I have to fix this. Right. And then I started looking at, okay, so where is it really showing up? And this is really where the power is because I realized the thoughts I had about myself, the shame, you know, the shame feelings I had about myself. I realized the emotions that were actually being triggered that were related to trauma versus just normal human emotions that you would have on a day-to-day basis, right? And the places where I really got tripped into the intensity of emotion were around things like uh, the two biggest ones, and they still are things that I I recognize and and work with. Number one is in any situation where I feel like someone else is imposing their will on me and I'm helpless, right? And that is very subtle because that happens a lot. We live in structures. We live in society. We work in workplaces. We have, Mm -hmm. we have, many environments where we are, where you're at the direction of someone else, you know, just the way the laws work, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have these situations where you just feel completely uh, at someone else's whim. And when I feel like that's unjust, right, or I'm being subjected to rules that don't make sense to me, um, and just, you know, shut up and follow the rules, uh, I get really triggered around that. So feeling those feelings. And then two, and this was, again, a very subtle one that just showed up, but I think is, is it happens a lot to people is anytime I feel like I'm trying to make a point and you're not really letting me make my point, like you're not, I, my voice doesn't matter. And that's, you know, in relationships where you get into conflict, right? Cause conflict is a part of relation, a normal part of relationships. But if I feel like I'm really trying to make a point and trying to really tell you something that's true to me and you have no interest in really hearing the truth, you just have your own idea and you're just going to keep telling me, really what the mm. meaning of it was, mm. for instance, uh, that's, that's extremely triggering because that's what I went through, right? You're trying to tell somebody like, no, like I did not, you know, one of the, the biggest pieces of the abuse I went through was, of course, there's the, the, the weird sexual touching and all that kind of stuff. But the biggest piece was just the threats of violence. You know, he would just yeah. threaten me with violence all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't tell anybody or I'll, I'll kill you or I'll, I'll hurt you or I'll beat you up, whatever. Mm. And he would hold me down and threaten me and all this kind of stuff. And so, so for me to say, no, I, I, I swear, like I haven't said anything to anybody. I won't like, just leave me alone. Just stop, you know, like, so that gets triggered. That this is something that still gets triggered. If I mm-hmm. feel like, no, I'm really telling you the truth. Like, just, just hear me, hear what mm-hmm. I have to say. So I think those, those, those things are, I'm, I know this is a long winded answer to your question, and I don't, but it's like the things happen. And then we have the feelings about ourselves, which lead us into making, you know, the thoughts we have, the feelings we have, the choices we make based on those feelings. And then we have kind of the long-term fallout of the pieces that aren't healed yet or haven't figured themselves out yet that continue to get triggered and triggered and triggered Mm -hmm. until you really look at it, see it for what it is and go, okay, enough of that now. So Mm -hmm. each of the pieces is kind of like this long-term, you know, uh, healing process that goes on the only way it heals is you have to be willing to turn in and look at it and see it for what it is and go. That in itself has got to be pretty hard. I mean, I guess I can only speak mostly for British society, but here, you know, we've got a certain thing about, you know, there's an element of of family life that's very private that goes on behind closed doors. And I think as we grow up, you know, we're brought up to believe that, you know, there are things that are private and they are quite sacrosanct. Yes. And I guess as adults, we don't like to disrespect our parents and disrespect the fact that, you know, they worked hard, they did their best. It must be pretty hard to acknowledge and accept that we as individuals occasionally might have experienced trauma. You know, what what happens to people when they sometimes have that realization? Because I imagine that can be quite an extreme thing. Yes, it can. So there's a couple of great points you raised there. So number one is um, the fact that we don't talk about it, right? The fact in, in America, it's no different. We, we don't talk about it. You know, well, it's my family and this is private. And you'll, mm-hmm. go, to the, you'll go to the death defending your family, even if yeah, it was sure, a horribly sure. dysfunctional family. So number one is the, the culture of being quiet, the culture of secrecy only serves the abusers, 
right? Mm-hmm. It only serves the people who perpetrate. It doesn't help the people who are suffering. You know, the, the, the victims are the one that go suffering for a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. Of just keeping, you know, with these failed relationships and the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the, the addiction and the suicidal thoughts and all the stuff that we go through, right? And the, the culture of secrecy only serves the abusers. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to heal in that situation. And the abusers, of course, may go on abusing other people. They may have totally forgotten about it and going, well, that was a weird time in my life, whatever. They're not losing sleep over it so much, but you are. And then yet you're also the one keeping it secret and hiding and protecting the abuser. Mm-hmm. So that's a really kind of a, it's a very um, convenient format for people to continue to get away with this mm-hmm. for sure. long sure. periods of time. And then when you look at things like what happened in the Catholic church, like there's also a systemic, you know, cover up that goes yeah. on too, that's yeah. now being, uh, but the point is, is that the culture of secrecy, it's, it's one thing to be loyal to your family. It's also another thing to be honest about what happened to you so you can heal and have the life that you deserve. Yeah. Right? And everybody deserves that. And everybody deserves to be happy, right? Whatever yeah. it is to, to be happy to be joyful and just to be, even just to be comfortable in your own skin, I think is the minimum. The other thing you raised there is a really important point about the family and, you know, and, and dad was doing the best he could and mom was doing the best she could and my uncle, he was just a little weird and he did this or whatever. But the point also I like to make is it doesn't make, even people who, who perpetrate this stuff or even if you like say nothing, like you weren't sexually traumatized or physically beaten or something really obvious, but what you had was a mother who just was, consumed with perfectionism and so Mm -hmm. you suffered that too Mm -hmm. or you had a father who just drank a little too much and got a little crazy when he drank or would disappear for days at a time or whatever and doesn't make them bad people in fact I don't I don't even see the person who who abused me I don't see I don't have hard like I don't have a grudge against him I don't see him as a as an evil person I see him as a deeply damaged and flawed person who was riddled with pain and didn't know what to do with it and so uh, again, not to let him off the hook and say what he did was okay, but to say, look, I couldn't control it any more than probably he could, really. Mm-hmm. And he was a kid at the time, you know, an older kid than me, but he was still emotionally was a kid slash, you know, early teenager and had a lot, have been through a lot of stuff. So in the healing path somewhere, there's a realization that these are just flawed, damaged humans, right? And I don't wish anything bad to happen to him. I don't, hold hard feelings toward him. I don't ever choose to be around him again. Mm. And if I ever saw him again, I would be like, I may say something, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I don't, it's that happened. And now it's my deal to deal with it. And sometimes, honestly, Holly, I look at it and I go, maybe this happened to me because I was the one that was strong enough to take it. You know, I was the one that was going to eventually be able to get out from under it, heal it, and then turn that into something really beautiful, which is, getting out talking about it like this mm-hmm. and then all the stuff I hear back from people going, Oh my God, like that happened to me and I've never told anybody like how mm-hmm. many people I've, my show is pretty new. I'm like eight episodes in. Right. Mm-hmm. And already I've just gotten messages from people going, Oh my God, like I thought I was the only one, mm-hmm. you know, really. And so only when we're willing to sort of really own, like look in the mirror, own the stuff and say, look, it doesn't mean that we have to hate the person who did it. In fact, that doesn't do anything for anybody. What it does mean is that we have to be honest about it. You know, we have to be honest and because it's our own healing. It's, the, it's your ability. You live inside this skin that you have, right? Mm-hmm. Only you live there and know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of us go through life for whatever reason, mm-hmm. not being comfortable inside our own skin. And that's a special kind of hell to live in. Like if you can't be inside your own skin and be comfortable, that's the only place you ever are. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a hard thing. You can't escape that. Mm-hmm. So, to going back to to the point then about, in some ways, the people that traumatized us didn't know that yeah. they were doing so. They were just doing their best. You know, they might not have had the skills to teach us the things that we needed. Do right. you think then that this this is almost a generational issue, and that it will be eradicated as we become kind of more aware? We're obviously more accepting and cognizant of mental health, its causes, the issues and concerns. Do you think it will get better over time? Uh, that's my hope, but the only way it becomes better over time is through conversations like this. Yeah. You have to bring it out in the open. You have to expose it for what it is, and we have to get honest about it. That's the only way things get fixed. If it's, we keep sweeping under the rug and acting like it's not a problem or staying secret about it, that's not to say you have to go out and, and put on a billboard, this happened to me. What it means is you have to look at it yourself and say, yeah, that wasn't right, what happened yeah. to me. And you have to look at the effect it has, and you have to heal it for yourself. 
And I really firmly believe that what we do for ourselves benefits everybody at some level, right? So if I'm healing myself, then that makes it that much better for whoever else needs to now come and and do their own healing work. Mm -hmm. And being willing to be out and talking about it, you know, whoever's ears this hits on, whether or not they're willing to talk about their own thing or not, it's going to hit people in different ways. They're going to, somebody's going to hear this and go, oh my gosh, they're going to wake up to some reality for themselves. And it's painful. Yeah, it's painful, but it's necessary. So I think unless you're really willing to talk about it, be open about it, say, yeah, this is a thing. And then there's another side of that, which is people who are victimized, right? And like, for me, it's easy to look at and go, okay, yeah, this was really a problem. Like this was a thing that somebody did a specific set of, you know, events that happened to me that I could look at and say, yeah, this was a thing. For most people who incur trauma, they never would see themselves as having incurred trauma. They just think it was childhood, right? The way mm-hmm. that they were disciplined, mm-hmm. the way dad acted or the mom acted or because these things are often generational, this generational shame, this generational trauma that gets just handed down one generation after another and you just don't know there's another way. So when you are, though, when you do go through stuff, whether it's really obvious or not, you have a choice then, you know, to make. And it's and when you've been victimized in some way, the question becomes, okay, well, I'm going to turn around and use that then to victimize other people. Mm-hmm. Or am I going to turn around and say, I would never want to make anyone feel the way I felt, mm-hmm. right? And so the more people that were honest about this, and we talk about this, we get it out in the open, we realize the damage, the absolute magnitude of the damage has been caused by this stuff over time for people. We can say, yeah, there's a better way. And we don't have to make people feel this way. We can actually, we can actually bear the brunt of what we faced. And then we can turn around and be better parents to our kids, be better yeah you know, be better humans uh, to other people. And I think that's one of the dangers about discussing this topic for me personally is that I'm, I'm starting to analyze now and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I doing <laughs> for my poor kids? Because, you know, yeah. I am a perfectionist. I am a workaholic. I do suffer sure. with all these kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think like you say, talking about it is so important because not only does that give, empower us to be able to say, actually, you know what, there is some stuff I need to talk about, but actually it also makes them more aware of us as parents. Yeah, totally. And I, and I look at my kids and I go, gosh, you know, what have I given them? And, and of course, <laughs> I'm glad but, it's not just me then. No, that's normal. In fact, I got into this conversation last night with some people that, you know, that do a lot of work with this kind of stuff. So we can look at our own. But like I said, this stuff is generational. When you wake up to the reality of it and you start to heal it and you start to make different choices about it, what you do is you start to end you start to break mm-hmm. the cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you may pass some of it on to your kids, but you may not pass as much on to them as you got passed to you. Yeah, sure. So they don't pass quite as much on to their kids as, as got passed to them. Yeah. And so it's, 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 a down. Slow, it's a slow, yeah, it's a slow breaking of the cycle, right? It doesn't happen yeah. in one generation, but it does take one person to be that rock to break the flow, right? You have to, you have to put up whatever resistance you can to it so that then the, the next generation can live a little better and live a little better and feel better about themselves. So to your earlier question, I think eventually, yeah, this becomes, you know, but, but on the other side, humans are humans. There's always going to be something like the people are motivated in all sorts of ways. People are damaged, but the more open it becomes, the more we talk about it, the less it's, it's hidden. I think the better chance we have at making real solutions. Mm. Let, let's get back to that point before where we kind of touched on this thing about epigenetics. I mean, you said yeah. that trauma impacts on DNA and that genes get passed down yes. so that yes. we get the impact without having had the trauma ourselves. Yes. So where does that theory sit with science now? No, it definitely is. Uh, that is scientific. There's, um, there have been, um, studies that have shown that that show that the you know that when you are traumatized it affects your DNA and then therefore the DNA can get passed along so some of the tendencies and traits like I've mentioned that you inherit or that you sort of create or um, generate in in response to trauma Mm -hmm. will get passed down not only behaviorally you know not only through context and and so we talk about sort of nature and nurture right it gets passed down both ways but to your point about epigenetics epigenetics kind of talks about how the environment that we're in or how the situations that we get into or the, you know, the things that impact our body in other ways can impact how your DNA is read Mm -hmm. and expressed. So even though you may have the trauma, you may have that sort of mutation or some of those things that happen related to trauma from a parent or grandparent, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to live them out. It Mm -hmm. means that you can choose different environments. You can choose different states of mind. You can choose, you know, create an environment where that's not necessarily something that's expressed. And that's true, you know, even for things that are like genetic inheritable 
disorders that you might have. If you're prone to diabetes in your family, for instance, but you know that, and so then you choose to eat a certain way, keep your body at a you know pretty healthy state with exercise and, and weight-wise, whenever, you don't necessarily have to have the diabetes, even though you have the gene for it. So mm-hmm. the same thing I think happens with the trauma is that it's, it's a thing, right? It's a, it's a known thing that happens in the scientific world. But the question is always about just because you have a, a gene or a propensity towards something doesn't mean you have to, you have to be a victim of it. Okay. Let, let's talk a bit about getting over our trauma then. You, you say that letting go, letting go of the legacy of childhood trauma is actually more simple than we might believe. Tell us a little bit more yeah. about that. Yeah. So I think the, the, the fear people have is they say, yeah, that happened to me, but uh, you know, I've spent all these years of sort of walling it off, putting it back there, leaving it back there, leaving it behind me. And I don't really want to go back and revisit. And we have this idea that to clear the trauma or to overcome it, that we somehow have to go back and relive all the episodes and reprocess all the emotions and do all the stuff. And for some people they do like for some people they have to do that, right? If you have Mm -hmm. a lot of PTSD around it, that kind of stuff, then sometimes that can be very, very helpful. But for most, I think for most of us, there's a couple things I point toward earlier. I told you it's a lot more about the meaning in the psych, you know, a lot of the psychological literature will support this. It's not what happened. It's what meaning you made of what happened that has the long-term effect. So we can usually get down to, honestly, Holly, we can usually get down with people very quickly to one or two beliefs that you created in response to trauma that literally guide almost every thought, every emotion that you feel day to day, choices that you make, the way you interact with people, the way you're triggered in conversations or by the social media or in relationships. And we can literally look at that belief for what it is. And we can actually shift it. And it's never a true belief, right? It's never a true belief. They usually... they. And I have a, an episode on this, the four brokenness beliefs, I call it, um, about it's usually some idea about not being worthy, about not being lovable, about not being wanted, about not being enough, right? Mm. And some version of that, and we can kind of get to what your actual message for you is. Mm. And then when you look at it, you can start to see very quickly that it was never really true to begin with. It was never a true belief. It's what you internalized about yourself. But there's never a point where you weren't worthy of love and respect. There was never a point you weren't lovable. There was never a point where you shouldn't have been here because you are here, right? There's never a Absolutely. point that you aren't enough. Yeah. The not enoughness one is very common. And it's interesting because you say, well, not enough what? I'm not enough what? Like, and for whom, right? It's <laughs> like there's this hard to break it down and it doesn't make any sense. But the, the beauty is, is that when we have these things, we create a life that looks a lot like the life that would be the opposite, right? Yeah. We create the actual life of, you know, if you have a not enoughness belief and you say, yeah, but I've ascended to this level of the educational world. I have this show. I'm, you know, I've got these two amazing kids and I'm, you know, you look at your actual life and you would say, yeah, well, why would people trust me as an educator? Why would people put me in administrative positions? Why would I get to this level if I weren't enough? It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we start to really look at your actual life. And so through this kind of process of what we call reaction formation, you sort of go, you have this belief and then you create this life that doesn't, at all reflect belief, but it's what's inside your head that because you can only see you're not enoughness because when you look out, that's what you see. That becomes your lens of perception. Mm-hmm. So number one, it's the belief. Number two is the, it's the emotions that are triggered now. I mentioned some of my stuff about the feeling helpless or about not having my voice heard when I feel like I have something and I really need to say it. I don't feel like you're really going to give me the chance to say it. So it's not what happened then. It's the stuff that still continues to get triggered now because we only live in the now moment. We only ever yeah. live in the present. And so it's not what happened then. It's what's coming up now. What am I still being triggered by? Our emotional triggers are just our unhealed emotional wounds, right? So if we can look at what's being triggered now, I can say, okay, I can see that for what it is. And now I can, you know, adapt a new strategy and shifting that stuff is actually when you look at it as, okay, this is something I really need to work on this one thing. I don't have to go back and relive all that. I need to really focus on this one thing. And so we look at what's triggered now, we look at the story, and then we look at a few basic patterns that continue to show up over and over and over again in your life, and then it becomes a much smaller hill to climb. And actually, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, that it's that sense of overwhelm when you're facing, starting to face some things from your past that actually, you know, when you slim it down and 
you know, as you said, it seems a much smaller, smaller hill to climb. I'd, I'd like to, yeah. to repeat some of your words back to you that I found really, you know, really motivational. <laughs> okay. you, you said, whilst we might feel damaged, defective or broken, we are anything but. You are a warrior, courageous and a survivor. It's hard to see yeah. because we're looking through the lens of brokenness. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Like, I, I thought I was damaged. You know, I thought I was, I was the odd man out for a lot of years. And I realized, no, the, the parts of us, the way, the way that it, it, this is the, I work a lot with uh, metaphors and, and visuals, if you can't tell already. But the way I see <laughs> that is, it's like, you're going through stuff, right? You're being traumatized, or you have a, a parent who's insane, or who's, who's manic, or who's never happy, or you know, you're just never at up for you're constantly working for love, but you keep getting up and you keep showing up and you keep living that life. Part of it is because you don't know that you have another choice and you may not at those times. But the fact is, is that you survived it, right? Yeah. You developed, you adapted the traits, you adapted the, the knowledge, you adapted the ability to navigate that environment. And so you get out on your own into adulthood and into your own relationships and that stuff starts coming back up. I'm like, what feels damaged and, and defective is the armor that you had to wear right? We put on this armor to survive and that gets chinked and that gets damaged and that gets beaten and bent and broken and tattered. And we show up in life and we go, here I am. And we just feel that way. And when you realize I can actually just take that armor off now, it doesn't serve me anymore anyway. I don't need it anymore. We take that off. Now all of a sudden you feel like you've taken a 300 pound weight off and now I get to just go out and be free. And when you look at that and you say, okay, well, if I see two, you know, warriors coming back from, from battle, which one am I going to say is the true hero? The guy that comes back with not, without a nick or a scratch or the one that comes back all beaten and bloodied and bruised and scratched up and who am I going to trust if I need something, right? And so those of us who have been through it, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, you've survived stuff, like real stuff. And you've come into this life and you've said, okay, I can do this. Like you're strong, you're tough, mm -hmm. right? It so, really reminds me of that great Nelson yeah. Mandela quote, which is something along the lines of the brave man is not he who feels no fear. It's the man who overcomes that fear. Yeah, right. That's the very definition of courage, right? It's feeling the fear and then doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. so those of us who grew up in these situations where we just felt triggered into fear and, and anxiety all the time, but you kept doing it, right? You kept showing up and you kept following your, your pursuits and you kept saying, you know, the second I get you know, I turn 18 or I get an opportunity, I'm out of here. And you go do it and you go out into the world and you make your mistakes and you do great things and you make, you do boneheaded, whatever, but you're out there and you're living and you're learning and you're, you're living in that courage. It's like, it, but the mindset says, you know, I'm the one that's got the problem. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is if some little like five-year-old kid came to you and said, hey, I, uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm lovable. You know, what would you say to that kid, right? You would, give, you would put her on your lap and give her a hug and say, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you're perfect. I'd say that to a 55-year-old man, though, Pete. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right. So you, if, if your little five-year-old self came and sat in your lap and said, I feel these things about myself, you'd say, no, 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 it's not you. It's that they have a lot of problems. Like, they're, don't, you know, just give it time. You'll be fine, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't, we can do that with another person. We can't, we, do, we have a very hard time doing it with ourselves, you know? And so that's another piece. You just sort of look at yourself and you say, yeah, if, if my little, you know, five or 11 or 12, whatever year old self came and said, this person's doing this thing to me, or I feel this way about myself, you know, how would you talk to that version? How mm -hmm. would you talk to that, mm -hmm. that kid? And it's like, just give yourself the same benefit. And that's sometimes that's really super powerful. So if, the listeners out there, this, this is really resonating with them and they're starting to think, you know what, this actually applies to me. What, your, what would your advice be? Where, where do you think that they should start to address this if they feel that this resonates with them? There are a lot of great resources out there actually on this stuff. I think number one is just familiarizing yourself with this idea of what is like shame or what are shame-based thoughts. You can just Google shame-based thoughts. There's all kinds of sites you can just look and see and go, oh my God, this is how I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> just to get honest about that's what's happening. Number two is, you know, on my site, you mentioned I have that list of things mm -hmm. there. Uh, we are the unbroken.com. I have that list of, of, you know, are you thinking these things, whatever that are there, the symptoms I call it. Uh, and I'm happy to talk to anybody for free. There's a link on my site. You just click, you know, talk with Pete and, and you, I have you fill out a little form and then we set up a time and we just talk. And then I can also point you in directions based on what comes up. I'm always happy to do that. 
there are a couple of books out there that are really good on this. There's one, a guy named John Bradshaw. He was kind of talking about the inner, you know, healing the inner child before that was a cool thing to talk about. Uh, and he has a book called Homecoming where you can actually figure out where your sort of trauma-based behaviors or, or thought processes or emotions are coming from, what stage of your life. And then he has different descriptions of that as different exercises for healing that part so that you can, because the idea is that, you know, if you're, if your development is sort of stunted in one area, say some part of your emotional development is stunted in the toddler phase, you'll continue living that out until you heal it, right? So you can kind of identify where was this part actually stunted and how do I meet the goals of that phase of life so I can then move to the next phase and the next phase so I can start to heal myself and integrate and feel more like a, you know, a well-functioning, you know, comfortable, content, confident adult. So that book I think is, is worth its weight in gold. Great. Thank you. What advice would you give to someone if they think that their loved one, their partner maybe might have suffered from childhood trauma? How can we support them to recognize and then to heal? Gosh, that's a hard one. Because as you know, for reasons we've talked about, a lot of times people will be very defensive Mm -hmm. about their past or they won't want to look at it. Um, I think uh, number one is any conversation that you're going to, you're going to try to enter to tease that out or to confront that needs to be done with a great deal of love and care and concern. You know, you imagine that you're talking to them as a, as a scared five-year-old kid, not as a uh, grumpy, you know, 45-year-old man or, or woman or whatever. So it, it needs to be done with a lot of tenderness and, and sometimes just questions like, you know, I was uh, listening to this podcast today and I heard this guy talking about this and it reminded me of some stuff that, that I've heard you talk about. Like, um, you know, what do you think? You know, do you think that there's something in your past, you know, because a lot of times people are totally disconnected from, they don't even know, or they wouldn't even imagine that that was them. And even if they know they went through something, they wouldn't still, because I was that way, you still wouldn't think that what I'm going through today directly stems from this thing I went through. You think you walled it off, you overcame it, you, you left it back there, but it doesn't really work that way. So sometimes just pointing, if somebody hears the show and says, oh my gosh, this is totally my husband, right? He's totally this way, or my wife, whatever. Then you might say, hey, I heard this, this show and, and there's some things in there I think, you know, you might really like, you know, why don't you take a listen to it and then let's talk about it. Just inviting them some way, shape or form to engage with the, the concept because it really, unless somebody's really uh, aware of the fact that they're suffering or they're having problems, it's really hard to tease them into this stuff. It really is. I've had people all the time, well, would you talk to my husband? I think he needs this. I'm like, yeah, but does he think he needs this? Because yeah. if not, then... They'll be like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know, my wife told me to come talk to you. And then, and then I'm gonna be like, well, this is what I do. And he's like, well, it doesn't apply to me, you know? So, but pointing people, I think to the resources that maybe you come up with and you go, yeah, I think there's something, Hey, you know, I think there might be something here for you. See what you think, you know? But like I said, I'm always happy to talk to people. If you think there's somebody and they're willing to talk, I'm happy to talk to them and see if I can tease it out and maybe touch something in there. But it's, it's hard unless they're really ready. Great. Thank you, Pete. Tell us a little bit more about your podcast. So my podcast is called Unbroken, uh, Reclaiming Yourself After Childhood Trauma. It is, honestly, was not the direction I was really looking to go for in a podcast. Um, I was trying to kind of, I had several ideas and I was, uh, had things that I really kind of wanted to do and thought would be cool to do. But the more I really did, you know, the work to sort of tease out what is the content I want to talk about, what are the problems I see that need to be addressed, what is the work I'm really doing with people and the messages I'm hearing, it just was so glaring and in my face, I said, okay, yeah, this is clearly something that needs to be addressed in a responsible and uh, appropriate way. Um, both not only from the standpoint of, like, I don't want my podcast to be, again, mired in all the heaviness of the past. I'll talk about my story. I invite you to consider your own story. But what I really get into is like, what is it that you're experiencing now? Why is it that your mind works the way it does? Why is it that your emotions get triggered the way they do? What is it that we can be looking at? Like I said, I got really inspired to do that episode on sort of the systematic, you know, shaming that happens in our society. And I got really call that kind of a rant episode. And I got kind of on a mm-hmm. rant about that because it's just, a, it just inspires something in me to talk about. But what I really want from that podcast is to number one, I want each episode to move you in some way. If you've been through something or you're struggling with anxiety or depression or conflicted relationships, a lot of times people just find themselves in transition and a divorce between careers in recovery from alcohol or drugs or whatever. And they go, I just need something. A lot of times this stuff is at the root of it. So I want you to hear the episode and I want something to move inside you. Okay. And sometimes that's going to be a little bit painful. You might have to look at some really hard truths, 
but only by doing that, you know, can I help you heal. So I'm really trying to spur people to consider deeper things about themselves. And then to also in the episodes, lay out the problem, but then also start to lay out the solution, right? So here's the point of hope. Here's the point of that you can run toward to find something better than what you may be experiencing now. So I really want to touch, here's what's happening. Here's your point of vulnerability. Here's what it means. And, you know, here's a way to think about it as a way to move forward. I hope I achieve that in each episode. That's my goal. But honestly, I kind of get on into a topic and a lot of times it's what comes and how it sort of weaves its way through my consciousness as we're going. So Mm -hmm. That's great. Thanks, Pete. Well, just as we wrap up now, I'll make sure that I include in the show notes um, some information about shame-based thoughts. I'll obviously include the link to your site and your podcast and also your contact details and also the information about the John Bradshaw book, Homecoming. I'll make sure that I put down there all of your contact details, Pete, but it has been absolutely fascinating today and I almost feel like we could keep going because I think we've just (laughs) scraped the tip of the iceberg but I'm sure people from this side of the pond will definitely be getting in touch with you but Pete Puker thank you so so much thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it life experience has shown me that many of us operate from a default position of inadequacy no matter how cleverly some of us might try to hide it a lot of people feel intrinsically flawed but we don't need to live with the remnants of our trauma for the rest of our lives. There is something that we can do about it. If you're struggling, ask yourself, what is at the root of your pain? In order to heal sometimes, we need to consider and deal with those deeper parts of ourselves, even though at first we might not know what we're looking for or it might be tough. As Pete says, the strength that it takes to continue to get up, to keep on fighting, that's your superpower. It's because of our pain and our problems that we can find our peace. Very few of us will get through life unscathed, but we can all find a way to heal. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast and that in some way it's added value to your life. Thank you for joining me. I've been your host, Holly Hartley. Please make sure that you tell everyone you know who might benefit from listening all about the show. It's free to listen to, of course, in any app that supports podcasts. Make sure that you click like and leave a review. I'll see you, you amazing person, on the next edition of Life Stories, where we'll explore eating disorders and specifically what we can do to support our kids. Remember, one person's story really can be someone else's survival guide. You are enough.